Welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is your boy, John Richards, a.k.a. J. Rich, and I'm here with the homie C. Lass, Chris Lasseter. What's up, Chris? What up, homie? Bro, we're on episode number 53, and we were picking our brains trying to figure out who that would be, who we could say this episode is committed to. Who'd you come up with, bro? First, we got we to gotta go back and give an apology for number 52. We had a huge oversight. It's, Big time. should have dedicated it to the role player. That should have been Ray Lewis. Big hands time. Hands down. Absolutely. So, Ray, if you listen to the podcast, don't come for us. Don't come for me in these streets, Ray, because I don't know what I would do. <laughs> right. Um, but 53, man, who we got? 53 got to be Cliff Levingston. And uh, he, his claim to fame is he fell for the greatest ball fake in the history of basketball. When Jordan took that one hand, stuck out his tongue, and pushed the ball up, a fake that really I don't understand, as even as I think about it now, why he fell for that. Like, how but can you possibly fall for that? There's nothing that you do in basketball by palming the ball and lifting it up. So, like, I'm not one move is going right to now. score points or anything. I don't get it, but he fell for it. So, this episode is committed to Cliff Levingston. And we, hey, that's a good segue too, man. Because talking about falling for it, we gotta talk Stop. about something. no, dude. Seriously, we gotta talk about this because listen, neither one of us have watched the NFL this year, but on this weekend, our timelines blew up following the Saints game, right? Um, the Saints and the Vikings apparently played in the a playoff game, and something huge happened at the end of the game, and I could not stop reading about it. Apparently, the Saints' safety in the waning moments of the game with the game tied, uh, Marcus Williams, uh, he basically missed uh, a very important tackle. And not only missed it, uh, it looked like he was doing some type of dance or getting out of his way or something to that effect. Knocked his own man down, and Stefan Diggs was able to go into the end zone to secure the victory for the Vikings. Oh, such a brutal moment. Like, this was probably worse than MJ hitting that clutch shot over Craig Elo. It's probably worse than that, right? Yes, it's worse than that because Craig Elo did everything humanly possible to be in the right position. And my just hit a great shot. Yeah, yeah. He, hit, he just hit a great shot. In this case, it seems like he made a mistake. Williams made a mistake, and the entire football world was watching it. And reminded him of it the next day. I mean, fans can be pretty brutal, right? We know about soccer fans who, if a soccer player scores their own goal, even in Latin America, South America, like they might actually lose their lives. Um, American football fans aren't that brutal, but they are brutal. So, you know, saw, you saw people uh, getting on to Williams about blowing that game and losing that game for the Saints. But uh, apparently other people have been telling me that other things happened in that game that caused them to actually lose the game. So, Chris, okay, on this podcast, we kind of think of, you know, some type of gospel-centered application here, man. What are you thinking about with this Marcus Williams situation? I think you may have tweeted something about this, right? All right, I'll, I'll try to tackle the Saints side if you want to try to tackle the Vikings side, no pun intended. So, uh at some point in our life, sports is just supposed to be this metaphor for life. 
and we're all going to be Marcus Williams at some point. Like, it's just going to happen. For 99.9% of us, it'll never be this public. Um, but at some point, everyone will be depending on you, and you will fail. Like, it's just, like, his whole heart was in helping his team. How distraught he was. And I think because we all know, like, one, it's just the right thing to do, but two, we rush to those people, we uplift them, and we encourage them, let them know that they're not alone. But part of that empathy is I know one day this will be me and this I'm hoping teammates are here to pick me up when it's my turn. And that's whether you play sports or whether it's just life. There's going to be a time where you literally fumble the ball. You know, uh, he missed a big tackle. The whole world was there to see it. Everyone has access to Twitter. Twitter is already like it is easily the most savage of all the social media platforms. So you're going to catch it. But um we, we live with a type of empathy and compassion because we know one day that'll be us. Absolutely, man. So true. And on the Vikings side, I mean, just think of the story there, man. This guy, the quarterback, Case Keenum, was a great player in college. Three straight seasons with 5,000 passing yards. The One of the few quarterbacks to ever do that. He may have been the only one to do that. Um, wound up going to about three or four different teams and things not working out, signed this spring in spring 2017 with the Vikings and intent on being a backup, just being a backup guy, right? And he wound up starting early in the season after Bradford went down, and that was after Bridgewater went down last year. So, like, he was supposed to be a backup's backup, and he finds himself playing in one of the most important playoff games in his career and throwing this touchdown pass that sealed the game for him. Um, I saw a couple of YouTube clips of him um, basically saying, hey, after my salvation in Christ and my marriage, this is the greatest moment in my life. And to see that the culmination of his career happen there, man, it's just a reminder to us, man, that, hey, just keep pressing. Even through um, you know, adversity, even with the Vikings, they the entire team was able to press through the adversity that they had. So um, this is just a reminder for us that, hey, uh, we have a, a Christ who is the author and finisher of our faith and who knows how the book ends. And we know how the book ends. Um, so we have to rest in that and know that that um, that we're good, that even in the midst of adversity, that if we keep pressing, um, that Christ is there with us. So, yeah. And I'm also reading through um, Jerome Gay Jr.'s book on Ruth, and I just think about how long things, how much adversity um, Ruth's mother-in-law went through, 10 years of adversity, to the point where she had turned bitter, but God's hand was still in it. So I think we learned that too, like, hey, there's only four seconds left on the clock, but that's plenty of time for God to operate. So we look at those interventions, and we just, like, that points us back to the fact too that I... Like we think about our own lives and right when you're ready to give up, don't give up just yet. So hold on. We have a God who can come through in the clutch that will certainly preach. Uh, speaking of preachers, man, happy Martin Luther King Day, bro. Happy, happy Martin Luther King Day to you too, bro. I've been doing a lot of reflecting today. Yeah, man, absolutely for sure. And uh, some of the listeners may know this, but you you know this, that that King is actually, I consider him one of my distant mentors read all of his stuff growing up strength to love is still one of my favorite reads 
of all time. And I'm just a huge fan of Dr. King. Uh, and I was talking with you, you know, we were chopping it up before the show. And I'm actually, you know, honestly, man, I feel like King Day has been a co-opted day for a lot of people. Like, <laughs> like I'm trying to protect my uncle, who I know really well from people who are trying to co-opt his narrative and to make him to be something that he's not. So I didn't really post anything today about him because I kind of reflect on some of his writings and stuff um, pretty regularly. And I mentioned last week on the podcast, I'm listening to a, a biography on you know his life and and how he started his church um, in Alabama and then in Atlanta. And it's been a great read. Uh, and he's he's been one of my heroes, man. So I'm pretty protective of King, man. I don't want people messing with him. Yeah, I think I don't know if it's the same one, but my wife, like every night we listen to something as we're going to sleep. And so for the last night, it was an autobiography or a biography on King. I'd be interested to see if it's the same one, but she was playing it from her phone. So I'm not sure who the author was, but it was fascinating. Um, not only is it co-opted Jay Rich, but could we also say maybe sanitized too? Um, that we take out the parts of King's story that kind of rub against uh, what makes us uncomfortable when we look at our society. And, Absolutely. Um, we sanitize all that out and says, and just boil his message down to get along. Like in, in some sense, we try to make Martin Luther King, Rodney King, right? Like, uh, can't we all just get along? Man? But his message man. was so much more than that. We probably want to just point people to the letter from Birmingham jail, just to kind of see how subversive uh, King really was. Like he was, writing to these white conservative clergy members um, who told him, no, this ain't the right way to do it. And he went in on him. It's one of my, you know, a lot of people uh, really appreciate some of his other stuff, but a uh, letter from Birmingham jail is like a Pauline epistle uh, written from King. So definitely would commend that to folks if you are interested in reading something that isn't the I have a dream speech. How about that? Right. And, it still may not be popular today. Um, if it was called Letter to a from a Ferguson Jail, man, it might still not be popular. Seriously, it, it definitely has contemporary application and it's prophetic, uh, even in 2018, even though it was written um, about 50 years ago. So, so certainly would commend that to you and and just want to tell people, hey, continue to honor his legacy. Uh, by getting a holistic view of who King is. Um, there's a whole lot of resources out there that show you his non-mainstream stuff that is very helpful for you understanding who he was holistically. So, Jay Rich, we started the podcast. We talked about the uh, Saints rookie, Marcus Williams, and just how his failure had um, kind of come out in front of everybody and so two things have kind of got me thinking about what happens when we fail spiritually um one is just my favorite song kb i think his latest album is great and he's got lots of turn up songs but my favorite um song on the album is one that just is really introspective it's called the art of drifting and every single line in that song is powerful and it just follows this uh kid he's a performer um he's a gospel mc and um he's starting to fall away from the faith and he's building a kingdom but it's not christ's kingdom that he's building and as he drifts his morality starts to fade his christ likeness 
starts to drift and he gets back into some old patterns of sin until it ends up ruining his marriage one night after the concert. As I'm wrestling through this song and just checking safeguards in my own life, uh, you and I, in the middle of the week, because we thought it was so important, um, did a Facebook Live about a, a sex scandal that had um, come to light inside of the church um, that we would say, hey, this isn't exactly how you would ever want to handle something like this. Um, another part of this Me Too series, Church Too. Um, and so I thought as a follow-up to that, definitely check out the Facebook live post on either one of our Facebook pages if you didn't see it. Um, but as as we just follow up here talking about failure publicly, so what do we tell people? We're We're discipling young people or we're walking with people who seem like they're drifting or we're counseling someone who has fallen. Um, just can you address some of like what happens when you fall as a Christian publicly? Yeah. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, <clears throat> when something like that happens, that, that when, when you fall or when someone falls, that uh, the first thing that we all need to realize that they're, there's grace. There's enough grace there, you know. Um, and when you think about people, even in Scripture, who have fallen from grace um, after becoming Christians, uh, think about the guy in, in First Corinthians who has some stuff going on with his stepmom, right? Um, Paul. There were some consequences, some some church polity that had to happen in order for him to be restored to the community of faith. Um, but there was also some grace extended there um, when he was truly repentant, uh, came back um, into the church community, and they welcomed him with open arms. I think one of the, the problems that a lot of people have with uh, leaders who fall in the Christian community in evangelical spaces is that they are they're replatformed really soon after it happens, and uh, there's no space for uh, restoration. There's no space for processing. There's no space for uh, victims being treated like they are created in the image of God. So, um, so I would just say that um, create that space or have that space created for you. You know, if you're a person who has fallen, but also know that there there's grace uh, in the middle of it, uh, a radical grace um, that that Christ provides for us. Um, I know that there was kind of a dichotomy that you wanted to discuss as well, Chris, that that we uh, kind of discussed as a reality as well, right? So it matters. Like right now, we talked a little bit earlier off like, hey, we got to be careful lest we fall, right? So, but even how we live now is important. So we strive for Christ-likeness, right? So the sanctification process is so that we look more like Christ daily. And that's what we strive to do to see more fruit exhibited in our lives. But our own righteousness is never something we trust in. So I think even when we fall, if we were trusting in grace, turning people to a savior, knowing that it was never our own morality that we saved, which is something that I wrestle with. I guess I grew up in the church. And so I always want my morality to have something to do with it. So I kind of need grace to speak to me as the older brother. 
that it's only Christ and Christ alone. But when you cling to that, like Christ is your reputation, so you can enter into that restoration process more easily, knowing that grace is keeping you rather than when you fall and you were hanging on to your own morality and you have your sin to deal with. And sometimes it's hard if you weren't clinging on that gospel to start with to grasp it now. So um, Hmm. I think now we ask diagnostic questions. Hey, like, am I in a good space? Like, am I drifting somewhere? What does drifting look like? And how will I know if it's happening in my own life? But heaven forbid that it does happen. Like, let the words out of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be the true gospel so that restoration can happen. And I'm not so worried about protecting my reputation. Yeah. And I mean, the Proverbs talks about that, like pride truly does come before the fall. And I think in, in a lot of instances, when, when you see falls happen, especially very public people, um, they don't have that accountability. They don't have that space where people are able to ask those diagnostic questions because they employ them <laughs> or, you know, they're, they're wielding some, some form of hierarchical organizational um, leadership over them. And sometimes that manifests itself in, in pride and, and self-righteousness. So uh, even at a leadership level, you want to make sure you have people around you who can ask you those tough questions. Otherwise you become this messianic figure and there's only one Messiah uh, who's ever walked this earth and you're not him. <laughs> <laughs> True that. I'm reminded of that daily. I am not him. <sighs> I am as well, bro. I am as well. My wife and I are working through this Proverbs devotional from Keller and it's really wrecking us for sure. Um, certainly a good Devo. I know I, I didn't hop into what we're reading yet, but I wanted to do that and let you know. That's what Spoiler we've been alert. reading. <laughs> so what you've been reading, man? All right, great. So uh, recommended resource for this week would definitely be um, D.A. and Alicia Horton just released a marriage book called Enter the Ring, but you could also get it on audiobook and they read it and went through the first chapter through the audiobook on a ride with my wife. And it was so good. It was so transparent and it was so gospel saturated that it was just a great thing to listen to. So I haven't finished it, but I'm super excited about finishing it too. And then I've been sending this song to all my people. Uh, my man, D. Wilson, D-E-E, Wilson. And he has this song on iTunes called The Lifter. So whether you got um, iTunes or you need to get it from Spotify or whatever, you got to find this song, The Lifter. So those are my two resources for this week. Already. Good stuff. Hey, look, um, I already talked about the Keller devotional with his wife. It's the devotional on Proverbs. It's a yearly devotional. Definitely would commend that to you. Last week, I want to tell you that I misspoke. I think I mentioned Pillar of Fire by Taylor Branch as what I was reading, but it was actually Parting the Waters that I was reading. Um, it's a three-part series written by Taylor Branch, and I'm reading the first part, which is Parting the Waters. Obviously, the Pillar of Fire comes a little bit later <laughs> in the civil rights struggle, but um, the first one is the one that I'm reading, and definitely would commend that the folks is a uh, it's a biography of King, but also a biography of the entire movement and the churches involved in the movement. So 
It's been good stuff, man. Chris, I need your parting shout out, man. This one's easy. My uh, shout out truly sincerely goes to the professor. And so it's just been really cool to see you in a different setting as I'm taking this uh, seminary toolbox class and just um, I've gone through the gospel of Mark a ton of times in my life, but just every week I'm catching something that I didn't catch before. So week two, it was just the proclaimer and the proclaimed. And I really just had to sit and like stew and how thoughtful that was and how thought provoking that was and how weighty that was, that he was both the proclaimer and what was proclaimed in our gospel. Mm. And mm. so that was, um, I was glad that you pointed that out and we're just slowly going through Mark and digging for jewels. So I was super hyped about that professor. So, <laughs> and when you said the professor, I was like, who is he talking about? I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you supporting your boy and being part of, of the course, man. It's been, I was telling my wife today, man, it's been a real blessing to be able to, to do this because I love teaching and I don't get too many opportunities to do that in the academic setting or a classroom setting. So this was a perfect opportunity for me and certainly love it. Um, my closing shout out is going to probably go to my son, Scooter or John. Scooter, Richard. what up though? John Richards the third man. This guy is rocking out, man. It's so funny, man, because he's so tall, but like he is completely a STEM kid. I I know it. Like I got, I'm looking at robots now and and some coding stuff that he got for Christmas. I'm like, he's going to be an engineer or something. He's probably going to be a seven foot engineer, but we need those two, right? Um. So shout out to my, my son, man. He's he certainly is has been a blessing for us and certainly is rocking out at school, man, as a second grader here in the Chicago area. So gotta give him a shout out. I'm I'm not sure if he's gonna listen to this, but I might give <laughs> I might I might put it on in the car, make him feel good about himself, man. So shout out to the little homie Scooter Richards. What up? That's what's up. <laughs> All right, you guys, on this Martin Luther King Day. This has been episode number 53. Again, sorry, Ray Lewis, last week. Don't come for us. But this week, episode committed to my man or Chris's man, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cliff Levingston, yo. The big Cliff Levingston, who went for the worst pump fake in the history of basketball. But it's yeah, all. Shout out to man. my man, Pedro, too. Me and Ray Lewis have a mutual teammate. Pedro? Yep. Wow. He wow. played on my AU team and my high school basketball team one year, and he played on the Ravens championship team in 2000. I already told you, Chris, man, you're like the guy, that guy who knows everybody somehow. Like there's like two degrees of separation between you and everybody. Now, if you have a couple of degrees of separation between you and the white supremacists, we're going to have a problem. But uh, for now, we good people, man. Man, you're good. But the gospel's <laughs> for them, too. So. It absolutely is, man. I knew you were going to come back with that. <laughs> On MLK Day, that's your, a good place to end it. You and your grace field behind. I hear you, man. No, <laughs> I try to be full of grace, too. All right, you guys, this has been episode number 53. Definitely appreciate you guys for joining us for 53 episodes and looking forward to getting with you on episode number 54. I already got some names in mind in terms of 54, and uh, we're going to just have to see who it's going to be, right? Yeah, I got some I got some in mind too, so we'll see. 
All right, make sure you guys go over to Facebook, join our group at Boxing One Podcast. Follow us at Twitter at Boxing One Podcast. New website, boxingonepodcast.com has all the episodes on it. Go over there and check it out. We also did a blog post last week on our 18 hopes and predictions. Right. Negro Damas for 2018. <laughs> so go over there and check out those 18 predictions. Until then, we'll see you guys next go round. Grace and peace to you all. Peace out. <laughs>